sports interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It was a game. Uh, that's about all that you could say about it, outside of Sean Farrell scoring his first career NHL goal. The fastest goal in a Bell Centre, or I guess Montreal Canadiens home game debut, since Odie Claghorn, apparently, in 1918. That is a name, Odie Claghorn. If you haven't heard it before today, go look him up. He was actually quite the player, Odie Claghorn, and his name was Odie Claghorn. I'm just going to keep on saying Odie Claghorn until everybody logs off and stops watching. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. All right, uh, lots to talk about in this game, and, well, not really so much about this game. There wasn't that much to talk about. But we've got Tony Ferrari on with us tonight from the Hockey News. He's going to talk some prospects, some Habs prospects, some draft eligibles. We're going to have fun, even if the game itself was not fun. You'll probably have more fun here than you did watching the game. I know it's a low bar to clear, but hey, I'm uh, I'm, I'm putting that bar out there. All right, let's get the ad read to go. It's March Mania at Sports Interaction for one more day. NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, and so much more. Play Pinata Picks and Minute Madness, exclusive games with insane odds you can't play anywhere else. Make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Download the app from the QR code that you see at the bottom of the screen if you live in Ontario, or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. And in a bit of an announcement, I don't know if it's been put on Twitter yet or not, but there's a video of it on the SDPN YouTube channel previewing what we're doing. Game over wrestling is coming to SDPN, at least for one weekend. Wrestle, Game over WrestleMania will be live on Saturday and Sunday after the two-night event, the biggest event in wrestling, the biggest event for the WWE. Fuad Suleiman will be hosting for us with a nice collection of special guests, including our own Avery Lewis McDougal. So make sure to check that out. Mark it on your calendars to go watch Game Over WrestleMania on Saturday and Sunday night. Let's welcome in Tony Ferrari. Tony, how are you feeling after having to watch that game? Uh, I would like to submit an invoice for some amount of money because I had to pay <laughs> to watch that. Um, that was uh, that was a game. Uh, I don't think either team played well, but they both played, so that counts, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think back to a game. I know there has been games this year where it, it happened, but a game where so few passes in the offensive zone connected. It seems like yeah. the Canadians could basically pass it back to their defensemen or move it around the rim, but they could not get off the wall tonight against Florida. They couldn't get across the middle of the ice, uh, whether it was the Florida Panthers actually playing like, I think I think they play better defensive hockey than they usually do because they're a pretty sloppy team in general. They kind of just go full sand offense all the time. But tonight uh, they played kind of a boring game and it it worked really well. Yeah, like you saw Sean Farrell score the opening goal, and it wasn't always the it wasn't the prettiest goal in the world, but it was Sean Farrell's first NHL goal, so he he was pumped up about it, and then. Uh, Florida scored and the game kind of got boring after that. I it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe we're going to get one of those not necessarily 10 goal first first periods, but maybe we're going to get an exciting game, a high scoring affair that, that like these two teams have played all year. But at the end of the day, it ended up being kind of a, a boring 4-2 game that man, just kind of happened and when we move on in the middle in the, at the end of March. Yeah, it was it was not great. And I I will say um I was about to tweet when Sean Farrell scored 
it was like a minute or so in and I was like, oh, a full minute with no goals. Boring. Cause like the last game <laughs> had like nine goals in the first 10 minutes or something like that. And then Farrell uh, found a way to sneak one in on Alex Lyon. I have to imagine Leafs nation when they saw that goal go in after Lyon was absolutely miraculous against them last night. They must've just been like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, after watching that Leafs game last night where Alex Lyon became prime Martin Brodeur for a night, it was uh, it was interesting to see him let that goofy goal in because it almost seemed like he had no idea where he was in the crease and it just kind of squeaked in at the side of the net. And you were like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a high scoring affair. And then it wasn't. So it, yeah, good for Sean Farrell. Great to see the, the kid get his first angel goal. Um, it wasn't the four that we predicted jokingly on Twitter <laughs> earlier tonight, but it was his first angel goal. So I'll take that. Well, now that it didn't come true, we were definitely joking and not serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it was it was not the greatest game. I feel like the Canadians' failure to like continue to get pucks on Lyon early in the game when he looked so rough was kind of the death knell for the team tonight. Like, even I think it was like the third shot he almost put in himself. He like lost his net and twisted around and like fell into his net somehow. Like he, he kind of like on his knees slid. And then went knees first into his own net, and the puck kind of dribbled out behind his pads. He was, yeah, uh, it was not great. It was a weird one because at one point you're like, okay, if they can get a few shots on net, maybe they can get something going. And and then you all of a sudden you look at the scoreboard and the shots are twelve to three or twelve to four, and you're like, what is happening here? And then it's seventeen eight, and Montreal just wasn't able to get the pucks on the net. And when they were, they were shooting from outside. They were getting some point shots. I, I was looking at their heat map kind of as the game ended and. They didn't have much going on from the middle of the ice. So like you said earlier, it's kind of everything skirting around the outside, getting them to the point. But anything cross seam, even on the power play, it wasn't really working for them. Yeah, I'm just looking at natural stat trick now. It wasn't loading on my phone. They had the Canadians at 1.62 expected goals. And I'm not even sure if I believe that. Honestly, exactly. High, high danger chances in all situations were 22 to 5 for Florida. Not a banner night for the Montreal Canadiens. In in a streak, honestly, they've been playing arguably like their best hockey of the season recently. They distinctly outplayed the Boston Bruins in a loss. They destroyed the Columbus Blue Jackets, which I know is not the most impressive thing in the world, but they've been outplaying teams consistently. They outplayed the, the Buffalo Sabres as well. But uh, yeah, not not a great night for them. Uh, welcome to all the people in the chat here. Ian Bover is here. Kay is here. Keck Shows is here. Uh, Kay is calling out Tony. She said, as soon as she saw you tweet about, uh, how you were looking forward to the high octane <laughs> offense, she knew this was going to be a terrible game. Yeah. I, I really shouldn't tweet before a game like this when it has been a fun series, oh, fun in, in relative terms, a series so far between these two teams, lots of goals have been scored. So of course the lowest scoring one is the, the one I call out for being a good game. <laughs> This is true. I will say this for Canadians fans. If you're looking for positives, the Canadians played the Florida Panthers and Caden Gooley did not get injured. Is that because he's currently injured? Yes. But for <laughs> once, he gets through a Florida Panthers game without a further injury because for some reason, they really don't like him. So there's that. Uh, I'm sure Kay will be upset about uh, talking about Gooley's injury, but that's okay. Uh, what did you think about Sean Farrell immediately being thrust up to the top line? I thought he act he was one of the few guys tonight. Like there's like timing, I think is not quite there. Like, I think he's got room to improve, but he was actually one of the few guys who was making plays out there tonight. I thought Suzuki had some good moments. 
uh, aside from that giveaway, the fourth goal there, uh, Farrell had some good moments. I thought Mike Matheson was as great as he's been all season. It's just nothing was working for anybody else when he was out there. Yeah, it was really, it was a really fun game from, for Sean Farrell. I think, especially in the breakout, you noticed him in transition a lot. He was, he was doing a really good job of giving the defenseman options kind of high in the zone to get the puck out of there. And then he was making great passes through the neutral zone. I thought there was one where he hit Suzuki up the ice, if I'm not mistaken, on, on a really good pass, just kind of cross ice through two defenders, splitting the guys and, and gave Suzuki a good chance to get in the offensive zone. He was making good passes like that. Like you said, some of the timing was off. But this was after watching some of the game the other day in his debut, you finally saw him go, okay, I'm comfortable here. I'm able to play hockey and and be an NHL player because it's always kind of iffy on your first game, especially when you're coming in and you're late in the season. Everyone's already got some NHL games under their belt. So seeing him kind of come in and, and show some confidence, make some passes. There were a couple of times where he'd make a pass under duress. There was one time late in the third period where Radko Gudis, because Radko Gudis, of course he does. He bears down on, on Sean Farrell along the boards, and Farrell's able to still kind of progress the play positively. And I think those are the little things you're looking for, especially with a guy like Farrell, who isn't the biggest player, so you're always worried about the big defenseman kind of going in, crushing him, and, and limiting his time and space. And he was able to do things w- without uh, all the room of the college game. So it was good to see him kind of play a fun game and, and, and be able to play some of his game and, and use that playmaking ability he has. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up with with Gudis. Not necessarily because I want to talk about Gudis, because <laughs> I think we we talked about it before the show. Everybody knows he's a greasy, greasy guy. But uh, the fact that Farrell was going in knowing he was going to be hit, he's a small guy. He's a rookie just making it into the NHL, and he wasn't pulling up on plays, and he was still making those plays in tight spaces. I find that's the kind of thing with a small player where like. I know some people, especially in this market, because the Canadians have had a lot of small players for a long time, they they like freak out and they want big players. But when I look at if a player plays small or plays big, if a guy is willing to bear down on a puck that's like a 50-50 puck and take a hit from a guy who's way bigger than them to win that battle and kind of make a play before the hit, that's where I'm like, okay, he's not afraid. He's not worried about this. This is like, I find, like obviously Gallagher, not afraid of anything. Uh, I think people have the impression that David D'Arnais was, but I never got the impression from David D'Arnais that he was a shrinking violet. I thought he was pretty good at getting to the net front. In fact, that's where most of his goals came from. He just wasn't a goal scorer. He was a guy yeah. who thrived as a perimeter playmaking player, which is, you know, people get upset about that, but the same kind of thing that Jonathan Druin is, right? Druin is at his best, controlling the outside, putting the puck into the middle. He shouldn't necessarily be the guy in the middle. But I would say Druin is one of those guys who, maybe he's not the smallest guy, but if he's going in on a 50-50 puck and he's going to get hit, oftentimes he pulls up a little bit. Seeing Farrell not do that two games into his NHL career, kind of like that. Yeah, and that's the thing. One of the one of the things I always look for when I'm scouting guys for the NHL draft and as, as prospects and seeing guys develop is these guys that are under six feet tall, the guys that are five eight, five nine, five ten. If they're going to be functional NHL players going forward, they have to play a little bit bigger than their size. They have to play with a little bit of fearlessness. They have to understand that they need to use their body and use their size to their advantage, leverage things on the boards, get under guys, establish body position, have a strong lower base always helps as well. So seeing Farrell go into those battles, kind of go into the boards and 
not be afraid to make that pass at the last second. Like, I think you talk about it in the NFL quarterbacks being unafraid to step up in the pocket and make the throw right as the defensive lineman's coming down on them. You have to do that in the NHL too. You have to be able to make a pass under duress. And I think Sean Farrell showed he can do that tonight. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And man, if he can get a little bit stronger, I feel like that yep. tendency is going to serve him really, really well. You know, like it just, I mean, it's tough to compare players to him because I feel like he's, He's pretty rare in terms of his physical strength for his size, but like Nick Suzuki, oftentimes mm-hmm. you see him when he has a defender coming in to lay a hit on him, he almost purposely waits for them to do it, and then he just turns around and like shows his butt and pushes them back off of him, and it's pretty rare that he actually gets like pushed down. Like he, He's just a really strong yeah. lower body guy. I'm not making a comparison in terms of skill at all whatsoever, but it, sometimes when Suzuki does that, it reminds me a little bit of the way that uh, Sidney Crosby protects the puck. He just doesn't have the skating that Crosby does, where Crosby, I find he like he would draw a defender into it, hit him, and then use that momentum from the hit to skate and like yeah. create a play that way. I don't think Suzuki can do that. Uh, it, at least I haven't seen him do that very often, but he absorbs the hit well to make the play. So if Farrell can get just a hair of that, that adds like an extra, what, quarter second on to make a play. And it just, it's that little bit that takes you from like a third line guy to maybe a second line guy. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things is you look at some of the best smaller players in the NHL, Mitch Marner, Nick Suzuki, guys like that, even Johnny Goudreau, they're able to kind of absorb the hit and bounce off it, roll roll off of it and do these things where, like I said, they're establishing their, their size and using their ability to kind of absorb the hit and that finesse game like they're players that know how to deke and dangle essentially that's what they're doing without the puck when they're changing their body position when they're getting hit so i think that's one of the biggest things for a guy like farrell is just showing that he can be hit and still be effective with it yeah 100 the chat's going crazy over uh the ottawa senators blowing their lead against the flyers (laughs) despite what, what were the shots 45 to 11 you're what? telling me Tyler Clevin isn't the hero? Oh, 46 no. <laughs> to 11. Oh my gosh. So Tyler Clevin, what what's your thought? Did he even play? I yeah, I think it was his home debut or his uh NHL debut. Oh, he's a defenseman. He got an, a goal, no, no, an assist. And he was Oh, I was going to say if he got a goal, I can't look at Sen's Twitter tonight. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. Even the assist is probably going to be uh, a lot, so so Not should to we be mean, but hopefully they blow that lead and it lose, <laughs> they lose. Uh, no, they won an overtime, but they gave the Flyers oh. a point, which, you know, that helps for the Canadians. Really? I have to say, I, I enjoy getting sent Twitter riled up, at least a specific section of Sen's Twitter, but yes. working closely with, with modern Charlie from uh, game over Ottawa has given me a bit of a soft spot for the senators. And frankly, they've actually done some good work beating teams the Canadians need oh, to yeah. fall down the standings or beating the Canadians to help them <laughs> tank here and losing the teams that the Canadians need to get some points. So listen, they gave uh, the Philadelphia a point, puts them another point ahead of the Canadians. They have, oh, geez, uh, unless it hasn't updated. No, it hasn't updated. So they've got five points ahead of the Canadians now. So that's a pretty good lead this late in the season. Yeah. Pretty impossible to catch the Flyers. So good on them for that. But shall we trash Ottawa Senators prospects or shall we talk about Canadians prospects is the question. Let's talk about Canadians prospects. I'll come on another time. We can trash the Sens prospects. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Now, of course, the biggest one that everyone is asking about, uh, I asked 
during the game, who do you want Tony to talk about? And everyone answered Lane Hudson. So Tony, tell us great things about the small elite Kale McCarr in a smaller package guy. Well, the kid that was snubbed for the Hobie Baker finals finalist, uh, totally deserved it. Not a good enough player. Uh, no, at the end of the day, this kid's an outstanding player. I think you easily could have had him in the top three for the Hobie Baker. I think just the fact that Minnesota was so dominant from start to finish this year, they ended up getting two guys in there, which isn't always super, super common. But at the end of the day, this that was Adam Fantilli's award to lose. So I think with Lane Hudson's season, you look at everything he's done, an absolutely historic season, one of the best scoring seasons for a U19 defenseman ever, if not if I'm not mistaken, maybe even the best. This kid has so much dynamism to his game, so much creativity. He truly is one of those guys that you you look at as a fourth forward out there on the ice at all times. His defensive game needs some work. He needs to clean up some things, obviously. I think anytime uh, a defenseman is, is as good offensively as he is and he's not a top 10 draft pick, uh, obviously his size played a factor there. Being drafted at 5'7", growing to 5'8", this year, uh, becoming a giant in his own right, uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's certainly not the easiest thing for him to be a, a stout defensive player, but I think he certainly has the skating ability, the skill to be at least an average defender, a guy that uses a stick and cuts off play quickly. I think that's the biggest thing for these smaller defensemen. And then that offensive ability is truly elite. He's going to run a power play at the next level. He's going to be one of these guys that puts up points at the, at the NHL level. I think the, the biggest thing is, is he going to have a coach that kind of lets him do that? And, with Montreal right now, I think Marty St. Louis is kind of the guy that would allow him to do that. So I think he's going to be really, really fun. Probably maybe next year he goes back to, goes goes back to college next year, maybe comes out at the end of that year. Because I, I think just any further development with this kid, kind of getting that strength on his body, kind of developing into a, a bit of a more of a man, just physically maturity wise, that's going to be the biggest thing for him because the skill is there. That's never been a question. So it's just going to be about getting stronger and, and developing that defensive game a little bit because transition offensively, we've seen everything that he can do. Every highlight that you see on Twitter is absolute marvel. And like you said, almost Kale McCarr-esque at times with his offensive game. Yeah, and I know that uh, after the Canadians played the Avalanche this year and got taken to the woodshed completely, <laughs> uh, St. Louis talked about how the Avalanche are pretty much the only team in the league that can play that sort of like positionless hockey style because they have so many great skating, incredible defensemen and like pretty a group of pretty responsible two way forwards as well. And he wants to emulate that. It seems to me like Lane Hudson would fit into that kind of system very, very well, or at the very least much better than a guy like David Savard. Yeah, I, I think he would because Lane Hudson, like I said, is that fourth forward out there. He's able to kind of go down the wall, make a play deep in the offensive zone. And when you have guys like Nick Suzuki and even Kirby Doc when he's healthy, able to kind of go back there and be that that defenseman in a pinch, you have guys that are able to do that. I think it's going to be a work in progress for guys like Cole Caulfield and stuff. But at the end of the day, I think the Habs have a lot of really good prospects. I mean, you look at a guy like Yuri Slavkovsky, who's just kind of scratching the surface this year with the Habs before his injury. The, the game that he can develop as he goes forward and in the size and the skating ability and the skill that he has, there's no reason he can't be that defensive winger that has the ability to kind of fill in when Lane Hudson goes down into the zone and then still be able to attack and make some timing plays through through space and do what or do what Colorado does where they have five guys deep in the zone and you're like, 
how did this happen? How how were they able to overwhelm the three defensive players we have down low in the zone? And it's because they have the five guys not only aware enough, but skilled enough to get into the offensive zone and still be able to get back and be good enough skaters to to cover their butts defensively. Yeah, it's it'll be a fun situation, I think, when uh, the Canadians get to that point. They've got a lot of young players that need some more development road here, but eventually, uh, you know, Obviously, not every draft prospect hits, but the Canadians seem to be at least trying to make the best out of what they have now, as opposed to the old sink or swim attitude that wasn't that successful (laughs) under the previous (laughs) regime. So it'll be fun to see how many players actually can make it out of this like big, like deep pool, but maybe not a pool of the highest end stars that they have right now and see what kind of team develops out of it. Uh, There was a question in the chat. Great question, I think. Asking, who was it here? Uh, Trinka says, who do you see as a good complement the Canadians currently have? Because obviously they've got a lot of young defensemen that are going to make up the core going forward. Lane Hudson playing with when he makes the NHL. I've seen a lot of speculation after Caden Gooley started playing on the right side this year. uh, After he came back from the first injury I think he dealt with. Maybe it was even before that because the Canadians don't have many right-handed defensemen, do you think that it makes sense for Gooley to play on his offside and support Hudson in that way? Or would you see him more as like maybe Justin Barron takes a step or is it another option that they have to look outside the team? Yeah. The first guy that came to mind was Caden Gooley. And even if he does play on his offside, I think he's a good enough player that he can do that. The game that Gooley plays is pretty two-way focused. He's got some really good offensive metrics this year, surprisingly at times. So I think this is a guy that can slowly develop into that a really good defenseman that can cover up for a guy like Elaine Hudson. I think you have a bunch of prospects down up and down the system that are really good players. So Gooley would be my pick going down, down the line, but I think they've got a ton of different guys. Even, even a guy like man, like Logan Mayu, if he makes it to the NHL, a guy like Adam Engstrom, like they've got some pretty good defensive players who have at least the, the, projectability to that that position it's just gonna be about whether or not they can round out that defensive game because i think that's where the the canadians kind of have the the gap in their defensive group is they have a lot of guys but a lot of them are pretty good at one or two things so kind of rounding out the rest of their game to get to that level where they weren't being on the ice for 18 to 20 minutes with a guy like lane hudson is going to be the biggest biggest factor yeah yeah i mean especially when you've got like it it seems like they have a lot of guys who are in that like that projectable range of like possibly second pair, right? Like Jordan Harris, I think he will be a second pairing guy. He just seems so solid and he seems to have like the, the mental game as well. Like he, he's not phased by the pressure, but like Justin Barron, I love the potential there. I think since this call up from the American hockey league, I think he's been absolutely incredible, especially offensively, but he still has those like moments you're like, oh, dude, what? Why are you making that play in the defensive zone? Or like, why are you letting that guy go? And it's like, it's rookie mistakes, but it's the kind of thing where like, if it persists into next year and the year after, you're like, okay, so maybe you're you're like a number four five instead of a three four. And there's a lot of guys in that range, I think, for the Canadians. They need someone to step past that. Yeah, exactly. I think they've got a lot of guys that, we look at Toronto, they have Brad, Rasmus Sandin for for a few years, and he was just eating up minutes in the, on that third pairing. 
looking at his stats, his underlying numbers were just absolutely outstanding. Now he's getting a bigger role in Washington and he's scoring a lot more, but some of those underlying numbers are, are a little concerning and you're, you're realizing why Toronto wasn't able to play him up in that top four. And I think that could be the case with a lot of these guys is Justin Barron, a guy that you can put out there on the third pairing and he absolutely destroys the minutes he gets, but you try to move him up the lineup and you, you, you have a little bit more concern. I, I think that could be the case with a few of the guys in the Habs pool. Yeah, and that's just the way it's going to go, right? You can't have every player hit like their absolute max potential. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some, and maybe it'll be a case of like one guy will be better than the other guy, and the other guy might be a number four, but he's stuck in like the five six slot, and that's kind of what happens on great teams, right? Is like you, one of the keys to winning is having guys playing at positions below where they're actually suited to as opposed to above where they're actually yeah. suited to which is where the canadians have been stuck for the last two years due to like the weakness of the roster combined with the obscene run of injuries that they've <laughs> dealt with so it'll be very different when we start talking about the canadians in that light but uh, i do want to ask you about one other prospect before we take any questions from the chat because uh he's just been such a revelation this year in comparison to last year. But before we do that, I got to remind everybody, please like the stream because the more you like the show, the more likes we get when you smash that like button, the more YouTube's algorithm shares this thing around and suggests it to other Canadians fans or other hockey fans. And the more we can grow. And I should also say, if you didn't hear on the last show or see on my Twitter or Instagram, we are having a live watch party and meetup hosted between Game Over Montreal with Mark and I, with Eyes on the Prize, several people from there, and Habs Fan TV, who are extremely fun if you followed any of their stuff, where they're just nuts. And uh, we're going to be at Lacage, at uh, the one the location right next to the Bell Center. And the tickets are available. We have to charge because. That way, people will actually show up. They won't grab a bunch of tickets and and not show up if it's a cold day. If you paid a couple bucks, you'll show up. So it's five bucks. I'm posting the link in the chat right now. You can grab the tickets. Maximum of uh, four per purchase because we don't want somebody coming in and purchasing like 20 and then, you know, not coming or not being able to give them out. So uh, come hang out with us. It's going to be super fun. We're going to watch Habs Leafs on April 8th at Lacage, get some food, give away some prizes. That's what we're doing with the money collected in the ticket sales. It will come it will it won't come back to everyone, but there you <laughs> will automatically be entered for draws for some cool stuff. I promise. And uh, after that we're going to record a live episode of this and we're going to take questions from the audience, all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be super fun. And if you can't make it, hey, you can still watch it live on YouTube and show up in the stream chat and we'll be able to talk to you that way. But uh, the person that I wanted to talk to you about, Tony, is Riley Kidney. Because last year, the big knock on Kidney was obviously he could create offense, but a lot of it was coming from the perimeter. And I know that uh, skills coach Adam Nicholas uh, worked a lot with him over the summer. Uh, in rookie camp, in training camp in September, and putting video work with him and uh, giving him like a package of things to work on. He was really pushing Kidney to drive the middle. And I haven't watched him a ton this year, but from what I've heard from scouts is that basically his entire offensive game changed and he's now 
gone from a guy who has a lot of offense in the queue, but it's not like projectable to the NHL to now upping himself into that, like not blue chip prospect, but like this guy's a legit prospect now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with him is he's always used his teammates pretty well and, and made a lot of like havoc on the power play, found space in the queue and attacked those weaknesses that QMJHL defenses have kind of always had. That's the, the biggest knock on the league as a whole is that the defensive play is kind of pretty garbage to be completely <laughs> honest, but the way he's done things this year, he's he's attacking the middle of the ice. He's not playing on the perimeter as much. He's using his ability to kind of stick handle and skate and, and whatnot to get to the middle of the ice and draw people in, uses kind of the gravity that he creates with his, his offensive ability and then find guys. He's not just dishing the puck all over the place. He's using manipulation. He's, he's kind of making creating chances for himself and his teammates without really just exploiting the weaknesses of QMJHL defenses. And I think that's been the biggest thing is you, a lot of guys can do a lot of things at the QMJHL level. I think what we saw with Jordan Dumay this year has been a really fun to watch at times because the highlights are awesome. But a lot of times you're like, yeah, but there's going to be a defenseman in that spot 95% of the time. Like that, that doesn't work at any other level than the Q. But w- with what, what Riley Kidney's done this year is he's, attacking that space, drawing defenders in, and then finding a guy. And he's drawing two, three guys in at times because he does have really good stick handling. He does have really good passing ability. He's also developed a little bit more of a nose for the net this year. And, and all those goal numbers haven't really jumped up. He's finding ways to get to the net and he's not just shooting from distance this year. And I think that's the biggest thing for his offensive game is he's taking advantage of the, the shooting in tight and he's drawing people in before making that pass. And that's the stuff that's going to work at the NHL level because at the NHL level, manipulation is the name of the game, kind of creating space for yourself and your teammates is the name of the game. And if you're not doing that at the QMJHL level, at the any junior level or any league outside the NHL, you're probably not going to be able to do that at the NHL level. So I think that's been the biggest step for him. I still think he's he's got a ways to go. His defensive engagement's not always the best. There's times where he is still kind of just making that easy play that the QMJHL defense are giving him. And I mean, why wouldn't you at times? Because right. you're going to get some points that way. Right. But seeing the step he's made, just using his IQ a little bit more and, and kind of taking a step in that regard, the, the mental maturity has been a big thing for him this year. And I think that's, that's why he's progressed so much as a prospect. Right. And I think anytime you have like uh, not a first round pick or even like a top, like, top 10 pick you're looking at an ahl player for mm-hmm. at least a year riley kidney probably projects for like two years at least in the nhl looking at like 22 that's when you kind of want to see guys break in anyway and the canadians have a lot of prospects like ahead of him on the depth chart so i feel like there's not as much pressure for him to make the nhl right away which probably will help his development there was a couple yeah. questions here um sebastian jackson actually didn't have a question he wrote up but he says he loves himself some riley kidney he felt that he was trapped a little bit in the titan systems very boring dump and chase i mean his production did skyrocket when he got traded to gatineau yeah and i think that's the biggest thing is in the qmjhl that that league is such a weird league because you do have a few teams that play that dump and chase really simple game but so much more of it is just five guys getting together playing beer league for the first time and not having a system in place and that's where a lot of the production comes from because those defensemen are also playing beer league games at at times. So it's a goofy league. And when you're playing in a structured system, you are being forced to kind of play that NHL game, which isn't always the case. And when he went to Gatineau, he was able to kind of open up a little bit, be a little bit more creative and and 
show some of the hockey IQ that he's developed over the last couple of years, because I think that was one of the biggest knocks on him coming into the draft. Yeah. Uh, Kay asks, what's up with uh, Philip Mishar? Uh, is it really just that Kitchener sucks or should we expect him to stay in the OHL next year instead of making the jump to the American Hockey League? Uh, if I was him, I, I'd be trying to get to the American Hockey League because that Kitchener Rangers team was absolutely dysfunctional this year. They have so much talent on that team. Um, they've got so many draft picks. One of the most draft picks in the OHL, if I'm not mistaken, or, or among the teams with the most draft picks in the OHL this year. And it just never seemed like anyone was on the same page. It seemed like no matter what line combination they had, they had three guys that wanted to play different style of games. And the way Mishar plays, he plays a high octane game, really pro ready game, I think. And there were times where he, whatever line he was on, he was just kind of seemingly playing by himself in any sort of projectable way. Other guys were just flybys on the net and stuff like that. And, it doesn't always kind of work. And the, the chemistry was a big thing with that team this year. I think they made a few trades at the deadline or close to the deadline where it was like, okay, they brought in any more talent. Is this when they're going to take the step? And they never really did. They finished seventh in the, in the Western conference and or eighth in the Western conference. Sorry. And it, it was a team that on paper should have finished second, third, fourth, because that's how good this team was on paper. At the end of the day, I think if I'm the Montreal Canadiens and Philip Machar, I'm putting him in the AHL next year because he, he showed at times in training camp and in, or in the preseason that he can play a pro game. He can play against pro players this year in the OHL. It was, certainly wasn't a waste. I, I, there was a lot of things he did that I really liked, but the, that Kitchener system, whether it was the system, there's a coaching firing in mid season as well. It was just a weird year in Kitchener. And I think he, he probably should get out of that. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian Jackson also says, uh, make sure that I bring up the, the Rangers beat your Spitfires tonight. Yeah, I know, I know. I <laughs> as much as I just talk crap about the the Rangers, they they are a ridiculously talented team, and in playing against the Spitfires, it uh, doesn't matter because that that talent level can come out and get a win in the playoffs. But uh, we'll talk after seven games for sure, for sure. I mean, let we're we're gonna shift to draft eligibles in a second, but there's one more question that I I, I also would like to know the answer. To this, I don't know how much you get to watch uh, the American Hockey League, uh, Tony, because I know that you're more focused on junior hockey. But uh, Trizak asks another question for Tony Ford Torres. He's <laughs> denigrating your name there. Uh, keeping okay. in mind that development isn't necessarily linear, how should we feel about Jan Misak? Jan Misak is an interesting player. Um, I've seen him a couple times this year, and I, I don't know. Because there are times where this kid comes out and he plays really, really well. I think there were, there were times this this year where he'd flash really good skill. Internationally in the past, he's been a really impactful player. But there's always been the question of, is this guy ever going to be able to play in the top six at the pro level? And I think that's the biggest problem with his game is there's so much of his game that projects to be a top six player. But his skill level and everything that he needs to do to be a top six player is just a little bit lower than where it actually needs to be. So he plays like a top six player. That's not quite good enough to be a top six player. So I think the big thing with him this, this next couple of years, I mean, what did he have this year? I think seven points in 30 some odd games. Yeah. It hasn't been that's, great. That's not going to be good enough for a guy that wants to be at least a middle six scoring guy at the NHL level. Eventually, I think he's going to need to adapt his game. And I think he's going to end up being a slow burn. Is he a guy that makes that 23, 24 Maybe, but he could also just be a guy that ends up kind of toiling away in the OHL because he was never able to really put it together. 
Yeah, it's it's too bad because it's not like he hasn't had opportunities where mm-hmm. he could have moved up the lineup, right? Like when you've got Alex Belzil and Rafael Harvey Pinard, and for a while Anthony Richard as well called up and Jesse Ulinen. Like that's your whole Laval top line <laughs> plus the best player on the second line, all gone. Like there should be ice time there for you. There should be uh, opportunity to score there for you. And he hasn't been able to take advantage of it yet. I mean, he's only what uh, twenty years old. But yeah, I guess it's one of those situations where is is he in a spot where he needs to focus more on rounding out his his game so that he can be more than a top six or nothing or is he in a spot where he needs to work on his skills and his like layering of skills together to nudge himself back into like being more of a scorer i'm kind of always a guy that that i want to see guys round out their games and i think that comes with maturity a lot of times but you have to double down on what you're good at and this is a guy that he has a good shot i think he needs to continue working on that I think the biggest thing with him is he needs to up his pace. He needs to work on his, not necessarily work on his skating in terms of a technical aspect, but getting more powerful, getting stronger in, in general. And I think that's going to come with physical maturity. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him is because he has a good shot. I've seen him make some really spectacular passes. It, it, the problem is he doesn't always get to the right spots on time. He, he kind of, pacing is an issue at times for him. So I think the biggest thing for him is get physically stronger, get moving in the offensive zone, in the neutral zone, so that you're not just trailing behind the play at all times. Cause that's what I saw a lot from him this year. When I, when we catch Laval, he's kind of trailing on the play a little bit. And when he's not trailing, he's miles ahead of it and he's going offside or something like that. So I think with him, it's just an adjustment to pro hockey. And if this is kind of what happens next year, I think that's when you really start to get the cause for concern. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, uh, I lied. One tiny last question, just as as quick as we can, is William Trudeau talked about enough as a list, as a legit prod? Sorry, prospect for also from Trizac. I think he's talked about enough. I, I I've never been a huge William Trudeau fan. I think he's a a pretty good offensive defenseman, but he's never really been able to take that step and be a true difference maker. I think he. He deals with four checks okay, and he moves the puck from the defensive zone all right. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that really excels beyond that third pairing in, in terms of an NHL caliber player. So I think he's talked about enough, but it certainly he should be kind of considered a bit more of an NHL prospect than some people do. All right, let's talk draft eligibles uh, between my sneezes, apparently. Uh, <laughs> there was a question on Twitter when I said that you were coming on, basically what, who are your five, six and seven in this draft? I know you've got uh, your, your top picks already posted, but let's go over it for the folks in the stream. Yeah. I, I haven't posted a, a draft rankings for a while since just before Christmas. I'll be posting another one at the end of the year, but right now on the board at five, six and seven is Zach Benson, Oliver Moore and Will Smith. You can kind of throw in Axel Sandin Palika, the Swedish defenseman and Ryan Leonard in there as well. I think uh, that's kind of the grouping right now. I think it, it's a fun group, but it's certainly that group that's right outside that Fantilli, Carlson, Mitchkov, and obviously Bedard at the top. Uh, Benson's a crazy smart player. Just it pushes play offensively so well. Really kind of cerebral offensive player that is a little bit undersized. At times plays a little bit undersized, but I think he has the intelligence and the, the puck pace and everything to kind of get through that. Uh, Will Smith is an absolute 
highlight reel to watch because a video game on ice. There's so many times you watch him slip between two defensemen and, and make a great pass or, or snipe a goal from the slot. He's really, really talented offensively. He could try once in a while defensively and that'd be nice, but uh, <laughs> offensively, the kid's absolutely fantastic. Oliver Moore is, doesn't get enough love. In my opinion, a guy that I think plays on that USNDTV NTDB team as well plays second line center behind Will Smith. And he doesn't play with Ryan Leonard and, and, and Gabe Perot as often as Will Smith does. So he's, he's kind of working with a little bit lesser talent and he's still putting up really good numbers. He's one of the fastest players, maybe the best skater in the draft is a true center, understands how to play at both ends of the ice and creates a lot offensively. I think one of the things he does best is just absolutely backs down defenders, puts them on their heels. There was one time I was watching him play against, uh, I can't remember which college team it was. I want to say it was Boston college or Boston university. And he was just skating at a defenseman and he was coming at him with such speed that the defenseman literally was on his heels so much. He just fell over and onto his butt and Oliver Moore just kind of went around him and scored on the goalie. So there's that element as well. And then with Sandy and Palika is maybe the most dynamic offensive defenseman in this draft that still has a sense of the defensive game. I think he's going to be really fun to watch and see where he kind of gets drafted. Um, and then Ryan Leonard, an absolute bull on, on ice. The kid's not the biggest guy. It's not like he's a six foot three power forward. He's a five eleven, five ten power forward that just goes through guys on, in the in junior hockey. It's going to be interesting to see what he does at the NCAA level the next couple of years. And I think that's going to be a big element for him and in, in seeing his development. But he's done it against college competition this year, and that's what I love about the NTDP is they play NCAA teams. They play good NCAA teams: Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Boston University, Boston College, stuff like that. So they're not playing bad competition. He's doing it against them too. So. This kid's a really powerful kid, and I think any of those guys kind of in that range are, are really, really good. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, with the Florida pick that the Canadians are going to get, let's say it's where it is around right now, which I think the Penguins won their game, so the Panthers are still outside the playoffs, like middle of the first round kind of thing. Is there a defenseman there that stands out to you? Because it seems like the Canadians want uh, – at some point to take a right-handed defenseman. Is there anyone in the draft that would justify being picked in that range? Cause I know it's a very forward heavy draft at the top. It's a really forward heavy draft at the top. And I'm looking at my defensive board right now and Axel Sandy Polika could fall that low. I think there's, he is an undersized defense and that plays offensively at times. So he could kind of get knocked down for that. And he's a right-handed shot defenseman. I think Dmitry Simashev, the Russian defenders a really interesting player because He's this guy that every time you watch him, you're like, how doesn't he have more points? He's he activates from the point extremely well. He has the puck skill to deke and dangle defenders, uh, the opposing players at the blue line. He's outstanding defensively. I think he's really, really good to, on, on the defensive end of the ice. He's a big boy as well. He does so many things well. And you see him make plays in the offensive zone. And it just doesn't get the payoff. And you're like, if that can hit and, and that, that kind of thing comes a, a step, then this could be a really solid two-way defenseman. I think he's a really interesting player in the middle of the round. And then you have a lot of wild cards, a Luca Cagnoni, a, a Tom Willander, a Swedish defenseman as well, a big guy that can move, doesn't quite push the pace offensively as much as he should. I think he's a guy that plays a little bit more reserved than his skill dictates he should, and maybe he comes a little bit as well. But yeah, this defensive group isn't the best, and, and that's going to be the biggest thing is there's a lot of guys you can fall in love with, and whoever you fall in love with, you hope that they're the guy that kind of takes, takes off and develops over the next couple of years. And it's going to be a, a really interesting group. And I mean, David Reinbacher is a guy that I think, I don't know if he'll be there for that pick though. That's the biggest thing is he's a right-handed defenseman, a Swiss kid, big boy, 
Um, a lot of people are calling him the next Mort Sider. I think that's a little bit overblown. I think he gets a lot of his points on the power play. He doesn't play as, as kind of a, a skilled, projectable game as, as Sider does, but he's a good defensive player. He likes to throw hits. He'll more than willingly do that. So he's an option too, even though I don't think he kind of gets that Florida pick. All right. Uh, Carl Valfordson, who is here uh, at 4 a.m., I believe, <laughs> uh, watching from Sweden, he says, as a Swede, I wonder what's Tony's top three Swedish draft eligible players for this season. I'm get. I think I know number one is going to be Leo Carlson, right? Yeah, Leo Carlson's number one. Axel Sandin Palika is number two, and I think Otto Stenberg is number three. Um, and Tom Willander's right there as well. So, and and then there's Oscar Fisker Mollerard, who's not Swedish, but he plays in the Swedish league. So I'll give him credit too, and a little mention as well. He gets to be half Swedish. Um, yeah. There was another question here from Kay. <laughs> this is a hilarious question. Uh, say that the Habs pick number five. Who is the worst player within the realm of possibility that the Canadians could pick at number five? <laughs> oh, um, this is going to be a hot take, and maybe it's a little bit mean. You know what? No, actually, no, I'm not going to go with him because uh, I kind of <laughs> like him now. Were you going to say Tyler Boucher? I was oh man, Tyler Boucher. We could we could go on about him. Uh, but no, I was gonna say Colby Barlow because I think he's getting a little bit more love than he should get. But I think Matthew Wood's a guy that I think might be a guy that sneaks into that top 10 that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be. A guy that really relies on his shot, isn't the greatest mover. He's a big boy who shoots a lot at the college level and he's scoring quite a bit. So I think he gets a little bit more love than maybe he should. Certainly a, a player that I look at and I go, man, that's a really good project. If you can get him at the end of the first round, early second round, that's where you love that value. The top 10 is a little bit rich for me, though. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's And that's a name that's been rumored, right? Uh, mm. I think the, the Canadians, it, it seems like there's swirling rumors about the Canadians looking for size. And I think it, it's somewhat understandable when you look at uh, like Caulfield, Farrell, Suzuki, like all, all these small guys that Raphael Harvey Pinard, who's like established himself as a, an NHL this season. You do want like some level of balance. I think chasing size for size's sake is a bad idea, but. I do understand like wanting some balance. And I think that's part of why they acquired like Kirby doc in the off season. He's a big dude. I think they've got some pretty big bodies on defense as well. I was kind of arguing with Stu Cowan on the HIO show earlier this year. Cause he was or earlier this year, like two days ago. Uh, Cause he was talking about how the Canadians are like full of small players and they don't have balance. And I was like, no, they, they kind of do like Slavkovsky's still alive. He's just injured. <laughs> he's, he's going to yeah. play next year and he's huge. Right. But now you see this rumor swirling of Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Canadians are, according to Friedman, 95% chance going to acquire him this offseason. I wonder if Pierre-Luc Dubois joining the Canadians, if that happens, opens the door to them taking a player who isn't a big guy like a Colby Barlow. If maybe, say, Michkov falls to number five. And there's been lots of rumors about the Canadians maybe not wanting to draft a Russian. If you bring in a guy like Dubois and you've got, you know, Dubois 6'4", I believe Doc is also 6'4", 6'3". You know, you got Slavkovsky, who's 6'4", Josh Anderson, who's 6'2", or 6'3". Like, you start, you're starting to get some big bodies in there in that, like, top nine range. Do you think, just based on your views of, like, or rumblings of what you're hearing and, like, vibes, you think the Canadians would make a pick like that? 
I think they would. I, th- I think they'd probably avoid a guy like Andrew Gestahl, who's small and he's has skating issues. I think they'd avoid the the guy that is the big risk as being a small guy. But if Zach Benson's there, a guy like Matvey Mitchkov is there, I think you could take take a guy like that and use the, the skill. At the end of the day, if they get first overall, are they going to avoid drafting Connor Bedard because he's only 5'10"? I think that's kind of the question you ask is, if you're not doing that, if you're not going to lean Adam Fantilli over Bedard because of size, why do it at another position as well down the board, especially if you get a guy like Dubois? And at the end of the day, say they get Sandy and Paleka at six or whatever they draft early in the round, and then they're sitting there at the 15th pick, 16th pick, and they get a guy like Quentin Musty. That's a good size forward who brings some power and brings some skill to the game as well. So maybe they opt that way and they kind of get, get a good guy, a good player and don't chase size, but kind of get size with a player that's worth that, that pick. Yeah. Keck shows asks, do you, do you think that there's a possibility that a team at five would skip out on Mitchkov? I think there's a possibility because NHL teams are a little silly at times. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Is I think anything's possible. I mean, no one saw Moritz Sider going as high as they did. I think no one saw Shane Wright falling to four last year. NHL teams do kind of goofy things, right? So even if it wasn't the Habs taking him, you'd think he'd go at two or three, and he still went to four last year. So could Mitchkov fall to five? Certainly. Could Mitchkov fall to ten? I wouldn't be shocked because... Early in the year before he went to Sochi, there were a lot of concerns about the projectability of his game and just how he played hockey at the time. So I think the the kind of concerns were eased a little bit when he went to Sochi and started playing within a system and started playing actual hockey that looked something like a, a projectable professional game. And, and that kind of boosted his stock back up. But I know there were at least a couple of teams that were talking about him being a, a guy that's in that 10, 11, 12 range because... He's just he was playing a goofy game and the skill was never a question. It was always the IQ and the projectability. And now that he's kind of quelled that, I think uh, he's probably I'd say he's a lock for the top five. But like I said, anything's possible in the NHL. Yeah, I think the the Russian situation also, it's like so complicated, right? Uh, First of all, there's that contract that he's on that extends, I think, four years past the draft. And then you're like, with the whole russian situation and the invasion of ukraine i'm pretty sure the nhl like disregarded their transfer agreement with russia and like does that mean they could try to void that contract and bring him over here anyway and he could like defect essentially would he want to do that who the heck knows like i i think you have to be in the scouting staff and like talking to the player to answer those questions so if you're fan or like me on the outside it's it's hard to understand or know what exactly could happen there it's just such a so many variables but uh, yeah secret agent man says he signed for four more years in russia are you sure he even wants to come to the nhl i mean people had that same worry about kucherov about kaprizov most of those guys i think want to play in the best league like yeah the the hyper elite talents he signed through 25-26, so he's got a, a three more years after this one in the, in the KHL. I think the big thing with Mitchkov is you look at a player that's his skill set, you look at the game that he has, and you're probably going to wait two years for this guy anyways, regardless yeah. of the contract situation. So waiting one more year, do you skip a guy that could be this 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 level of talent for that one year of contract that you, you would be playing him? And let's be honest, if it's an Arizona or something like that that drafts him, 
are you even trying to win in the next three years? Are you are you doing anything positive? So he might you, be more think, attractive to Arizona because they exactly. can just not have to pay him for a few years, right? Exactly. And then you get three years on his ELC at 22, 23, 24, that he could be a legitimate NHL producer producing 70 plus points. So I, I think that's also an attractive option. I think the contract isn't as big an issue from what I've heard from people that I've talked to within NHL teams as a lot of people are making it in the media. I think the bigger issue is just the Russian factor of the whole Ukraine situation where they've invaded and everything and whether or not that the NHL is, is going to fully ignore the the transfer agreement they have. I think there's a lot of stipulations that go into it. And like you said, it's it's going to be up to these scouting staffs and it's, it's easy for me to go. He's a top four player on my board, yeah. but if I'm on an NHL team, that that discussion's a, a a much deeper one. Yeah, one hundred percent. It it's easy for us on the outside to say we'd make that pick when we don't actually have to live with it. And exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think we all hope that the Canadians don't make a major mistake, but I think the easiest way for that to happen is to get super lucky and draft first or second overall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the easiest thing to happen in the in the NHL. Uh, there was another question here. Uh, you brought up Quentin Musty. Uh, Daniel Clark Bouchard asks. Uh, could you see Quentin Musty or Samuel Honzik join jumping into the top 10? Uh, Quentin Musty, yes. Samuel Honzik, no. I think Samuel Honzik's had a bad second half. Um, he's been up and down. He's got some skill. He's got some scoring ability. I think he's been really good at times, but he's had kind of an up and down second half that's soured a little bit, in, in my opinion, uh, his stock. But with Quentin Musty, he's a guy that started really slowly and and i talked to him earlier actually about a month ago and did a little interview with him and he was like yeah i had mono early in the year and then it didn't really feel like myself until christmas and in november they had a coaching change in sudbury and from the coaching change on this was the highest scoring ohl draft eligible uh i think he was third or fourth in the in the entire chl in that time period this is a really really good player i think he it, between him and Barlow, the, the race for the top score in the OHL was kind of throughout the season. And at the end of the day, Quentin Musty was hurt and kind of hurt his chances of being the top scoring OHLer. But he still only finished a point back in like 15, 10 less games. So this is a kid that I think has a chance to squeak in the top 10, especially if he interviews well. He's a guy that has power. He's got some playmaking. I think he's going to be a really interesting player to watch this in, in terms of sneaking into the top 10. Excellent. All right, Tony, I don't want to keep you for too much longer because, uh, you know, it's, it's a weeknight. We all got to sleep sometime and we all got to work in the morning. And I know you and I both have to wake up with kids, so <laughs> we got to take care of those. But uh, thank you so much for doing this and, and helping us understand more about the players available for the draft, more about the Canadians prospect system. And uh, thanks for watching that terrible, terrible game with me. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh that was a rough one. Uh, it was not I great. It on. I turned it on and my girlfriend was like, Why are you watching a Montreal game tonight? I'm like, oh, I'm doing the, the post game show. And they're like, Oh, all right, well, I'm gonna study and do some work on my own. And I was like, that's probably a good choice. And then watching the game, it was. <laughs> Don't you wish you were also studying? Yeah, that's that's oh, the kind I of game. Definitely it was. would have rather been doing anatomy like she was for her nursing program. <laughs> Uh, tell her good luck to, from everyone here. And uh, before we close things out, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find all my work at the Hockey News. I'm always producing stuff over there uh, on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. That's where you can find me most, and where I'm interacting, making jokes, and cracking stuff off, and, and talking draft prospects, and making fun of the Senators because that's generally speaking, yes. 
<laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here tonight. We'll be back on Saturday. I've got Alice Moran on the show. I know it's not an Oilers game, but she is incredibly hilarious. Prepare for some unhinged commentary from her as she always brings it. I will warn her to not call Brad Marchand the fuck king this time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you on Saturday. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.